Hey, folks, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning into Front Row Knowles, and thanks to the Champions Club and Seminole Boosters for their longtime support of this podcast. By now, you've seen or heard about the Boosters One Tribe campaign, which is annual membership to Seminole Boosters that helps fund the most vital needs of the FSU athletics program, including scholarships, academic support, and athletic training. I'll put this as simply as I can. If you're listening to this podcast, you care about FSU athletics and should be a booster. Many of you already are. Thank you. And I encourage you, if you're able, to increase your support. If you're not a member, you can join for as little as 70 bucks a year. Just go to boosters.fsu.edu to learn more. And now sit back, keep your seat, keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle. Well, you know the drill. Enjoy the show. Here's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. Keith, uh, good to see your smiling face and good for our listeners. They don't get to see your smiling face, but how are you, sir? That's the advantage of radio. You and I can watch each other and they don't have to watch either of us. We have been told by many a soul that we have faces for radio and we are just playing that out as far as we can. Is that not correct, sir? As far as we can and every time we can. ACC kickoff week, SEC media days are underway. Football is getting closer. I'm excited, Keith. We finally get to start having conversations about on-field stuff instead of off-field stuff. That brightens my day. Very much. Kids report, I believe, August 7th, and the first practice for Florida State is August 8th. Um, So uh, not that far away. Uh, The only thing that was disappointing, I was reminded of how much fun we used to have at SEC meetings uh, when the old ball coach would – either think of something or come up with something on the, on the spur that uh, caused everyone to go, what did he say? What did he say? And there's, well, just, this week, the there's some characters the... there. There's some characters there, but they're not as big a characters as the old ball coach. This is two weeks in a row. You've brought up the old ball coach, Keith, or maybe I brought him up last week. So anyway, an, enough of enough of SOS, but the big news out of the SEC this week came on Tuesday when Nick Saban hinted, didn't hint, basically said that his quarterback, who hasn't started a game, has got NIL deals lined up that are approaching seven figures. So, Keith, it is the new world order, and we've already complained. I don't really complained. We've opined about this the last couple of weeks, so I feel like we should just shift topics quickly. Well, I can't wait till, till Saban gets back into Tuscaloosa and one of the beat writers asking, now, how close to seven figures was that? Because you and I have had the conversation all along that uh, you can be – kind of close or real close or bumping right up against something, but that doesn't mean you're quite there yet. And uh, I can't wait till he refutes them for asking that type of question instead of paying attention to other things going on. In my case, if I'm talking seven figures, I'm including the two to the right of the decimal point. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, yeah. I, or commas and decimal points don't count. Or, or in fact, I may even count them as part of the figures. That's, that's what I'm saying. That's, that's how I equate it. So we talked I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago, whenever they made the announcement, because this is what you do in July, that Florida State was bringing both its quarterbacks. And we have this quarterback battle, but we have not talked about it since back at the spring game, Keith, when we saw what Milton did, when we saw what Jordan Travis did. So as we sit here right now, mid-July, ACC kickoff underway, who's going to be the starting quarterback? Well, I think when everything is said and done, the starting quarterback will be Milton. However, despite 
all the conversation about, you know, Jordan not wanting to change positions and wanting to compete for the job, regardless of who you start, again, repeating myself, I believe it'll be Milton, but regardless of who you start, you have to get both of these kids on the field. You can play them, you know, 10, 15 plays and the other one starts the rest of them. You can put them on the field together at the same time, which is what a lot of people is re- are requesting. But unless and until you've got some other playmakers that we've got some guys that can do some things, but unless and until someone else emerges as a playmaker, you've got to find a way to get both of these kids reps because they both can do things that are extraordinary, my opinion. I think it's a no-brainer that Travis would see the field for 15, 20 snaps a game in some capacity if he's not the starter. I'm not convinced that if he is the starter, they would have that many snaps for Milton. But you see it going both ways? Well, you know, now that I've processed, your your statement's probably correct. If Travis ends up being the, the starter, then Milton has less input. But again, I'm tracking on Milton being the starter, and then you've just got to find this way to get Travis on the field and get the ball in his hands. I don't, you know, however you want to do that, that's up to you. But you've got to do that, or you're wasting a, a very valuable uh, asset. I go back to this, the, you know, if we think back to the spring, Keith, the reports were all through spring that Travis had had a better spring, which he did. But as spring practice went on, Milton got a little bit better week by week. And then in the game itself, when you walked away, Travis had one great scramble play where he threw across his body, and I forget who he connected with, and it wound up being a nice gainer. But it wasn't that far from being one of those don't throw back across your body, across the field, momentum going the other way. And that was kind of the biggest highlight from him, if I recall, which is not to say he didn't look better than last year. I mean, I think Jordan Travis has a lot of potential. But Milton had the three memorable throws over the course of the game, one on the seam down the middle, one a touchdown pass, one down one the on right the side. One back shoulder throw. Yeah. Yeah, those are the ones. And I don't know that those were seen during practice or if that's just he was more comfortable at that point or if he's a gamer. We used to talk all the time about Jameis not being great in practice, and then you'd see him when the lights went on and he'd be throwing dimes out there. So I agree. I think it's going to be Milton. I hate that for Jordan. I like Jordan. Love Devin, his brother. Like Jordan a lot. But I do think he's going to contribute and help this football team no matter how it shakes out. You know, again, we've talked about this, but I'm simply reminded of what's going on in Jacksonville with, uh, you know, with with their program over there and Tebow. Uh, you know, if, if Tebow had been willing to change positions, you know, at least at some point in his professional career before now, I believe he could have played tight end, H-back, fullback, whatever the case may be. You know, Travis is the same way. Now, if he's dead set on playing quarterback, candidly, I think that's to his detriment. You know, if I was him, I'd be going to Coach Norvell. I'd go be going to, to Dillingham and say, look, I want to take snaps at quarterback, but I'm willing to, to be in the slot. I'm willing to be in the backfield. I'm willing to do some things that are outside, you know, direct snaps or under center. Um, that's what I'd be doing because you'd certainly see more playing time. Well, he'll let the quarterback battle shake out this year. He's still got a couple of years after this one too. And Milton only has this year Keith. So there's, that's, that's the other thing to keep in mind. So you can't fault him for wanting to stay true to what he believes in. Uh, and I'll, I'll concede that. But again, back to the original comment, 
he is a dynamic player, and you've got to find a way to get the ball in his hands. Coming up on today's show, we'll be joined by our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante, the ACC's new commissioner, offered the first state of the ACC address earlier today, so we'll react to that. Of course, the Atlantic Division coaches and players don't speak until tomorrow. So even though we just talked about Mackenzie Milton and Jordan Travis, their chance in front of the microphone is Thursday, the way they set it up. Today is the, the Coastals Day. It still seems odd to me, Keith, and at some point we have to accept it. I think I've accepted it. I don't know if I acknowledge it. But we're four years into Florida State not being nearly, not only not the main attraction, but not a headline attraction, not even page two or three. I mean – this is the era that we've been in that we're hoping that Coach Norvell pulls us out of. You know, our listeners will, will, will roll their eyes in the back of their heads when, when I mention the, the parallel. But, you know, the last time Florida State had three losing seasons in a row was uh, 72, 73, no, 73, 74, and 75. Coach Bowden, or actually, I, misp- I misspoke. Coach Bowden's last year, first year was a losing. So, 75, 76, whatever it is. And then Florida State ran off some pretty big seasons. Is it too big of a stretch to think that that might happen if you discount the fact that last year was not really Norvell's first year, it was such an oddball year, that this is really his first campaign, if we give him credit for that. And even if he has a losing season this year, could turn it around in such a way that uh, a year from now, two years from now, I mean, that's all the optimism, and, and that's the, the way I feel about it and the way I look at it, and, I, and I'm excited to see what happens. I really am. I get the parallel, Keith. We're going to have to wait 30 years to offer judgment as to whether that trend continued, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, and i got to get my calendar and figure out if I can make those years make sense. Anyway, well, you're, No, you're correct. There were three straight losing seasons, and then Bowden came in and went five and six his first year, so it wound up being four straight losing seasons. Uh, back then right now Florida State's at three which again is hard but the the record is what the record is and that's where it's been and when you look at this year most of the prognostications you talk about the Vegas line you listen to people who follow the program most are targeting sort of tagging 500 and if things go really well maybe it's seven wins maybe it's eight wins if everybody stays healthy I go back to the simplest point that I make time and again Keith and that is simply can you be better than the sum of your parts? I know it's cliche, but it is possible that if you play as a team, even if you aren't the most athletic 22 guys on the field or 11 at a time, you can get a better outcome. We see this all the time. Wake Forest does it year in and year out. Even the Florida State fans don't want him in it. Boston College does it year in, year out. They're on nobody's recruiting list, but they get the most out of what they have, and they play above their means, so to speak. And I and hate were- that I just – I hate that I had to, to, to use that as an illustration of what I'm hoping Florida State can do this year. Well, if you want to take that parallel, you know, go back to, to Bowden's early years. You know, we, we were not the most talented teams. We had some very good players, had some kids that went on and played in the NFL. But, you know, our, our collective parts together were much better than individually. And uh, last time I checked, it's still a team sport. And last time I checked, uh, good coaches – can take their 11 and beat you, and then they can take your 11 and beat you because they'll make the 11 that they got that much better. Well said. So we'll talk – we'll do a deeper dive from ACC kickoff with Bob Franta here joining us uh, coming up in our next segment. We'll continue the football talk. 
Keith, we've got some news we need to share with our listeners. Do we want to do that now or just do the tease thing and leave do it the hanging tea. out there? Show, show your uh, hosting skills, which are on a scale of 1 to 10, about a 9.7. And then we won't use my hosting skills, which are kind of about where my stars were coming out of Wildwood, which is about 2. But uh, give them the tease, and then we'll talk to Bob, and then uh, we'll, we'll take some personal time to tell them what we're doing. Well, as we disclosed last week, Front Row Knowles is in the transfer portal. And we mentioned that we were going to take some visits. We were just getting peppered with phone calls from competing radio stations, outlets, media conglomerations. We had a lot of options to weigh, Keith, when you think about it. And uh, after sifting through all of the correspondence, uh, you and I huddled and, and we've made a decision but we're going we're gonna to share that news later on in the show. What I will share right now, though, is that you should get out to the golf club at Summerbrook, 894-4653. Call, get yourself a tee time. 25 bucks for 18 holes includes your cart and a couple of beers. And if you golf like me, you need to spring, you know, pull, pull a few more bucks out and buy a couple more beers to get you through that round. But anyway, good student special on Wednesdays. Uh, call out to the golf club at Summerbrook. We appreciate their support of this show uh, over the last several months. 894 46 53. Keith, how'd I do? Did that qualify? Uh, yes, as usual. Well done. Thank you, sir. Back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom Block, Keith Jones, and we open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Say hello to our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. Hey, Bob, how are you? Doing well, guys. How are you? Doing very well. It's ACC kickoff time. That means we're talking football. The Osceola will have complete coverage as FSU meets the media tomorrow when the Atlantic Division teams are, are trotted out there, and we've discussed who FSU has in, in tow with Coach Norvell, but the big news today, unless you're a fan of a, a team from the Coastal, was that the commissioner, Jim Phillips, had his first state of the ACC address, so to speak, at least in this role. Bob, what were your, your takeaways, high points, low points from his talk? You know, I, I thought Jim Phillips addressed, you know, the wide range of topics in the, in the college landscape from, you know, COVID, um, you know, vaccines. Is that going to be a mandate or not? Name, image and likeness, of course, was a popular topic. Um, and, and also just the state of the ACC as well as, well as you know, is uh, the ACC network going to become uh, part of Comcast anytime soon? Of course, that is part of uh, the Disney Comcast, you know, greater discussion uh, well beyond the ACC, of course. So I think he touched on a number of those big topics. And I, I wouldn't say there was any hugely surprising, um, you know, headline. But, you know, I think the big one to watch, honestly, is there is no mandate for uh, for a COVID vaccine at Florida State or within the ACC. It's it's truly left up to the school's discretion. So we're going to have some schools that uh, that will mandate student athletes to be vaccinated, and others that uh, like Florida State will strongly encourage it. Um, and I think that's that's kind of the the big takeaway from from what's happened today. 
Bob, last year we saw some uh, forfeitures or postponements or cancellations. Obviously, the big one was Clemson already being in Tallahassee when that game got uh, canceled. What, what's going to be – are they going to cancel games or are they just going to withhold players? What do you think? You know, I think the ACC is still kind of determining how to figure that out, whereas other conferences have jumped in and said, you know, it, it's going to be a true forfeit. If a game is lined up and you don't have enough players or the contact tracing or whatever, it, it's going to be a, a true forfeit within those conferences. The ACC may indeed, uh, you know, consult with the COVID advisory panel and, and decide that's the route they go. But as of right now, it, it's, it's not the route. Um, I, I think eventually the ACC is going to have to be very transparent with what the policy is. If you've got teams in place, such as last year with Florida State and Clemson, is there a roadmap to play? Is there, um, do you have to forfeit it if you are totally down as, as far as, you know, COVID uh, contact tracing, whatnot? It's something that you've got to figure out. I, I don't see, I don't see why the ACC would want to be in the business of rescheduling games again this season. It, it doesn't feel like something you have to do. Um, maybe it would have to be done out of necessity, but I think if other conferences, have figured out how to do it, I, I would expect the ACC will follow suit and, and we'll see some forfeits if that's, if that's what has to happen. It feels like, and to be clear, the ACC didn't announce any policy today on that. They just said that they're waiting for the medical advisory group to report back and they'll disclose their policy in coming weeks. But I agree with what you're saying, Bob. It feels like it has to align, at least with the other Power 5 schools, because if you got the SEC that's going to treat it as forfeits, They'll be complaining one way or the other. I mean, if Clemson, who obviously is going to be the pick to win the ACC, if half their team has COVID and they can get the game rescheduled instead of having to play it, potentially lose that game, I mean, that impacts the way the whole playoffs and rankings uh, shake out. Yeah, and, and honestly, I think that was part of what Dabo Sweeney was saying last year. I, I think we maybe didn't like the way it sounded because his criticism was – you know, honestly, at, at times over the top when we were in the middle of a pandemic. But I think right now we've, we've got a situation where, yeah, you, you've got to protect any ACC team, whether it's Clemson or potentially even North Carolina. Um, you know, any team that's going to be in the playoff hunt has to play as many games as, you know, they can get scheduled. And, and it should be the original schedule, if possible, because of game planning and just being prepared for every matchup. Um those teams, as well as everybody in the conference, has to be, you know, prepared and playing those games. But but the playoff is, is big money. It's big money for all the ACC schools where you've got a, a lot of revenue distributed. It, it's important. And I think, you know, now's the time. Now's the time for the conference, the ADs, and the COVID advisory panel to, uh, to get together and, and come up with a really good, sound decision moving forward. Bob, did the commission talk any about uh, all we've heard is that all stadiums will be at full capacity. Did you hear anything to the contrary? No, nothing to the contrary. I mean, we, we've discussed it among, you know, friends and subscribers, at the Osceola, you know, former colleagues have kind of weighed in and we've, we've discussed it. I, I'm of the position that I think it's going to be full capacity that Florida State's planning full capacity and, and has budgeted, you know, from a, financial standpoint that way now if cases move in one direction the variant keeps moving in a, in a bad way sure we, we could see schools having to make adjustments um 
I, I think this is a, it's a really tough position for schools to be in yet again for a second straight year. But I do feel like all plans are moving toward full capacity at Florida State. You mentioned NIL, Bob, and I don't want to dive into that because we've talked about it at length the last several shows. But the, the takeaway was that the commissioner said there needs to be federal legislation. Uh, and he's hoping that there remains a sense of urgency to get something done there. I think we all know that if we followed it closely, that a different sets of rules, set of rules in each state is, is certainly not ideal for that. Uh, he, he, of course, got asked the Notre Dame question, which and in, in, in Keith, uh, this this was this was fitting for Go ACC, which the commissioner uttered a couple times. He got asked about Notre Dame potentially joining the ACC full time. And, and the reporter who, who asked the question, which was uh, Luke DeCock from the Raleigh News and Observer, pointed out that the logo, the ACC logo they had behind the commissioner had all 15 schools. So they had Notre Dame's brand and logo up there, even though they're not in for football. I found that kind of ironic. Maybe they're predicting something or at least wishing something. <laughs> well, I mean, there, there's no news to report there. I mean, if you read between the lines, he said, yeah, the ACC would take them yesterday if they'd be willing to step up. But it seems like they're even further away from doing it now than maybe what we thought uh, last year when they when they got to dabble in the conference. Bob, other other news there. You mentioned the ACC network. This to me seemed to be the biggest news of the day was that they made a big deal out of announcing that two more football games are going to be on the ACC network. But they didn't position that for what it really is, which is we're putting these games on the ACC network so that people that don't get the ACC network will call Comcast and complain about it. They chose Notre Dame at Virginia Tech, and the state of Virginia is heavily Comcast, so nobody in that state is get, or very few people are going to be able to see Virginia Tech play. And then there's a BC at Clemson game, and so obviously Clemson's a high-profile team. Uh, again, they didn't position it that way, but what they're really saying is we're moving these games here so that some people will call and Comcast might actually move. Is that the way you took it? Yeah, definitely. I think it's a, a further use of leverage, and I, I'm skeptical. I'm not sure it's going to work. I mean, we're we're in year three here where the ACC network has not been on Comcast, and I'm I'm not hearing from a lot of fans that they're, you know, willing to uh, to shift to Hulu or streaming or or whatnot, all of a sudden, I'm just not getting a feel that that's going to be a result. And, and maybe today's games mean something from a PR standpoint to the league, but I just don't see anything new happening here. Um, Commissioner Phillips was pretty vague on this. I believe he, he said we're making progress toward, um, you know, toward the ACC network being on Comcast. It, it, again, that's a very vague term. It, it doesn't really tell you any timeline. I, I didn't get a sense that it was going to happen in, say, September, December, you know, early in 22. So I, I think we're still kind of dealing with this for the long term. And frankly, it, it's it's become frustrating for for a lot of fans who, you know, pay a lot of money to to want to watch the games that they want to watch. And um, and, and they feel like it's it's been blocked for uh, for one reason or another. Well, one thing that would help that is Florida State start winning some ball games. I think we would all agree on that. And- and folks wanting to see them, not just FSU fans. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the other challenge, too, is you, you do have some people in the pandemic who, who don't feel comfortable or don't want to go to games, and maybe they're they're still on Comcast. They're reluctant to, to cut the cord for for whatever reason. I, I, I've tried to encourage people. I say, you know, go to a friend's house that you feel comfortable joining them, do a tailgate, 
you know, sit outside, sit inside, whatever you're, you're wanting to do. So I think some of the Seminole clubs are going to try and, you know, potentially get together. We'll, we'll see if that, you know, pieces together in the coming months. It's, it's definitely been a challenging couple of years. I think for this ACC network as as a commissioner said, it's, it's 70 million people who can now watch the channel, but I think it always comes with that asterisk of, of who can't watch it. And, and with Comcast being out of the picture, it's a huge population within the state of Florida, Virginia, and elsewhere around the league. Well, Bob, I'll make the same points I always make when this comes up. One, I, I do think we're closer with Comcast because the Disney contract is up, so they're going to have to take the ACC network at some point. I don't know that it'll be before the season or during the season, but it should be by turn of the year. Two, if you're selling a product that people aren't interested in, I think that's the situation they've got. I can't tell you how many FSU people I continue to talk to who haven't cut the cord with Comcast yet complain that they don't get the ACC network. There are other avenues out there to get it, and it just the, the demand is not as great as what the SEC uh, fandom has, has brought for their network. And then the last thing I would say, this did surprise me. Now, the commissioner said that they have exceeded year two distribution projections for the ACC network and revenue projections. And that second part feels like a little bit of a mistruth or else they had awfully low revenue projections because I don't know anybody around the league that's doing cartwheels saying, oh, we're making so much money right now and we're even exceeding what we thought we would make. Feels to me like there was some fine print in there, like we you know, our revenue projections were better after COVID started than what we expected or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. I think candidly, until you see the numbers, until it's disclosed, whether it's within, you know, say the ACC's income tax statements or, you know, until a school discloses what the numbers are, it's, it's not enough. It's, it it, it can, you know, the commissioner can say that that they're making progress. They're improving the, the financials and that's, that's great. But without a specific number to kind of point to, I think we're all kind of still scratching our heads because athletic departments have come through the most challenging year in, that they've ever really faced as far as having to uh, to lay off, to, to furlough employees. And, and I think those employees, those coaches, sports staff, everybody kind of deserve to know truly what the numbers are. You know, how how much is it improving? How much is it improving in the year ahead? So still lots of questions. I, I am curious what those numbers are, though, so we can kind of, dive into it and further understand guys i've been around for a while i can tell you that david coburn knows what those numbers are even if the commissioner doesn't want to talk about them because he's a numbers guy and i think i think the reality is that they're keeping it very close to the vest in order to keep all the speculation from going out but i i would be shocked i you're i'd be interested in you guys opinion but i'd be shocked that coburn didn't have a feel for what those numbers were. And if you could ever pin him down, he, he would be able to tell you. Oh, I'm sure he knows. I agree, Keith. And uh, my, my sense, and again, Florida State's been in budget, uh, you know, budget issues for the last couple of years on the athletic side. I don't think that that's that, – they haven't solved any issues based on that, that revenue, uh, at, least, at least to my knowledge. Point is, I don't think they've over-budgeted and are disappointed in what the numbers are. I think they had a reasonable expectation going in, even if they didn't like that expectation. Yeah, that's that's better said. That's a, that's a good way to put that, Keith. Bob, tomorrow when Florida State's quarterbacks take center stage along with Mike Norvell, and actually it's not really center stage since FSU's not the main attraction these days, what do you expect to hear from them? 
I, I think the message is, you know, Mike Norvell says often, you know, speak positive of Florida State. I think that's what we're going to get. We're, we're going to get a very positive, forward-looking message, you know, how, how good the offseason was, the offseason that, frankly, he and the program didn't have last year because of COVID. I think we'll hear how good the strength and conditioning program has been, not just specific weight or strength gains player by player, but building chemistry, you know, building that foundation for what is – um, a, a year of growth in, in year two. And, and as we talked about it, it, it's it's all transfer players. It's all guys who really have a, a forward mindset and not a looking back mindset of, of what was what happened last year or in prior years with the exception of Jordan Travis, who I think will get those questions. So I, I think it will be like most of these speeches this time of year. It's it's very positive. It's um it's it's very much a you know things are going well and and we're looking forward to things. It's uh, but it, it's it's a good time. It's a good time in this summer in July to have kind of this uh, this opportunity to ask some detailed questions, both on and off the field, about where the program's going. One other comment the commissioner made today is he reiterated that football has to be the top priority, and I felt like that would have had some more weight behind it if he had gotten all the ACC basketball coaches to stand behind him and nod accordingly when he uttered that statement. What do you think about that, Bob? I, I laughed. I, I was uh, I was very amused by the comment because we all know that the league has been basketball centric uh, really since inception. It's uh, it's tobacco road centric, but also basketball focused. And I, I don't think he's saying it negatively about the sport. It's just the economics of college athletics revolves around how good you are, um, not just having a Clemson or a, a North Carolina, but Everybody needs to be good, Florida State, Miami, Virginia, Virginia Tech, so on. It needs to be as competitive as possible. So, you know, going back to your point, so that people want to watch all of these conference games, that that Florida State is must-see TV, it's appointment viewing week in, week out, and so are the other teams. Football has to be the priority. And, you know, he, he did spend time uh, honoring those programs that won national titles in, in sports like lacrosse and swimming and whatnot. And that's, that's great. Those, they sh- should be honored for what they've done, but he's again stating, um, I think his viewpoint that football is driving the bus and it's just how important football is. Well, guys, it would impress me if Roy Williams and coach K had stood up there and said, no, we're not leaving because we're fearful that football's taking over, but I didn't see that happen either. <laughs> uh, but conversely, Keith, as we've pointed out, Commissioner starts in February this year. He immediately talks about football being the priority, and boom, Roy Williams retires, and Coach K announces he's hanging it up. So they're, they're could, getting the memo. Could be. Could be. Could be. Hey, Bob, one last thing. I saw where Matthew Nelson uh, signed with the Reds for, for full slot value, which is right around $2.1 million. Uh, That's a pretty nice year of work for him, considering he was off the radar. Uh, a year, Maybe not off the radar, but he wasn't in position to, to land a $2.1 million contract. Yeah, you know, Matthew spent, I, I think, not being selected in a really condensed five-round draft last summer, I think that, that in part motivated him. He, he wanted to show that he was, he was a guy that every team would view as, as something of a, a hot commodity. He, he wasn't a first-round pick, but he was pretty darn close. And I, I've kind of read with, with a critical eye, seeing what other people are, are saying about him. Some are kind of questioning his defense, if, if he's 
as good of a receiver and, and, and throwing out runners um, say at, at second or third. Having watched him day in and, and, and day out, um, I'm, I'm thoroughly impressed with his all-around game. And, and I would say I, I think he, you watch him play and you say that, that looks like a major league catcher. Um, definitely not saying he's going to be an all-star like a Buster Posey, but he looks like a guy who puts in that time every day and has refined his game to the point where, yeah, he, he's one of the best catchers out there in this year's draft. And I, I think we're going to see big things from him down the road. Bob, thank you as always. Enjoy ACC kickoff. Take care, guys. See you, Bob. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Keith Jones, Tom Block with you. And KJ, always appreciate the insight of Bob Ferrante and uh, ACC kickoff continuing. Certainly feels like football when you get here. A little bit of a letdown and that you still get 10 days, two weeks until we actually get there. But first Friday in August, Coach Norvell's and his staff are going to meet the media and then they'll get the pad, not the pads on right away, but they'll get on the practice field. Keith, would you like to add your obligatory how many two-a-days you had and how many they don't have right now? Or are we going to pass on that one this year? I'll pass on that. Our listeners uh, have uh, heard enough of the old days when we walked uphill both ways without shoes, in the snow, blah, blah, blah. Well, I've got a a frequent rant that comes back annually that I'll get to momentarily. But first, since our listeners, both of them, have been on the edge of their seats since the uh, first segment, Keith, about the future of Front Row Knowles, I feel like now is the time that we should just go ahead and disclose uh, that the transfer portal, while it was an enjoyable stay, the whole key to the transfer portal, as we've seen across college football, is if you're going to jump in, you better hope somebody's got a life preserver to pull you out. Am I right on that? That is correct. Unfortunately, too many have gone in and are not going to be able to escape. Keith and I are uh, fortunate. Here's the news. Enough of this. Some of you that are dialed in probably are aware, but Keith and I in front row Knowles, uh, because 97.9 is changing owners, flipping formats, will no longer be ESPN Sports Radio. They didn't have a need for, for Keith nor I in front row Knowles or Jeff Cameron for that matter, which you've heard that uh, he's, he's got news to share with you as well. But uh, we're going to be moving over to uh, 93.3 with our show. It will still be on Wednesdays, 93.3 on the FM dial. Uh, frankly, a bigger stick than what than what uh, we currently have here at uh, ESPN Radio. So you'll be able to hear us uh, on the terrestrial radio a little further than you can now. But we'll be in the lunch slot from noon to one. And uh, we look forward to that opportunity and continuing to grow as uh, we, we get another. Keith, we continue to fool them somehow. The WVFT 93.3 is known as Real Talk and and their format uh, many people will be familiar with. But uh, what they're attempting to do, and and I think they're going to be very successful at, and we're hoping that we're a part of that success, is they're going to open up a window between noon and 3 o'clock and and take on some sports stuff. So uh, our slot will be noon to 1 on Wednesday. Uh, Very excited about it. Opportunity to uh, maybe broaden our base a little bit. And, um, uh, you know, it, it, they always talk about lunchtime and drive time, 
And uh, we'll see where that takes us. I'm excited about it. Also, the Tampa Bay Bucks are going to be moving over to 93.3, I believe, as well. So uh, more sports coming to the station, and we're happy to move over there. We'll we'll let you know, folks. This will, uh, candidly, because Keith and I, if you haven't figured it out over the years, uh, there's technical sav- there, there's technically savvy, and then there's a rung or two beneath it, and then there's a rung or two beneath that where you might find me, and then there's a rung or two beneath that where you might find Keith. I mean, is that a kind of an accurate display or, or description of our technical skills, Keith? And, and that's very disappointing. I'm very disappointed in myself because I actually took a three-hour class in college uh, on audiovisual equipment, and I learned how to operate – uh, an overhead projector and a um, uh, used to be the, the, the film that you used uh, to throw things up. The real, the real to real, you can reel to reel. Yeah. The real to real projector. And then uh, I, I teach they tell people I learned how to use the mimeograph machine when I was in high school. So I thought I was pretty well versed and maybe I was for 1980 or 1981 uh, but I haven't kept up since then. So, yeah, I'm a rung or two below you, and that's well below where the average is. So the moral of the story is, cutting to the quick here, we will still have this in podcast form, and maybe it'll be seamless, maybe it'll be a little bumpy, but we'll get there. Just bear with us. Follow me on uh, Twitter, at underscore Tom Block, and follow Front Row Knowles. We'll give you all the information you need to know if you do have to resubscribe to get the podcast. Uh, those of you who listen uh, because of Keith, he will be faxing you details about how you can continue to download the podcast. So uh, those, 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 and or or check your mailbox for a uh, typewritten letter. Snail mail. Snail mail. Yes, you'll get that news soon. All right. Uh, other things we didn't talk about here, Keith, and this one, this one really. Uh, actually, I, I was devastated is too strong a word, but I was really disappointed when I saw the news, and that's that Cam Akers tore his Achilles. And Cam Akers, who we all remember as a very talented running back at Florida State, didn't play on the best Florida State football team. So he's not remembered in FSU lore the way a Warwick Dunn or Dalvin Cook was. And I'm not saying he was either of those guys, but I am suggesting if he played on FSU from 93 to 97 like Warwick Dunn did, it might be pretty memorable. You know what I mean? Cam Akers, damn good running back. And when you consider the offensive line woes, what he was able to do his last year had some good, really good games and, and a good rookie year with the in the league last year. I just I just hate that he's going to be out for a year because he was poised for a big big year this season. Agree wholeheartedly. And there are those that I've talked to, both my age and much younger, that will tell you that without Cam Akers, uh, goodness knows what the offense would have been like for Florida State. In other words, single handedly, and you can't do it completely by yourself, but single handedly, he would find two or three or five times during a ball game to turn nothing into something. And without that, whoa, how bad would things have potentially been? Not only that, just his attitude. Uh, you know, he, he came to work every day. He was loved by his teammates, uh, is loved by his current teammates. And you just hate it. Devastating is too big, too big and too strong a word. I agree. Uh, because we see guys coming back from injuries that 20 or 30 years ago were partial or not complete career ending. He'll, he'll be okay. They'll get it repaired. He'll come back. He'll rehab. Uh, he'll have a chance. But I just hate it for him because it, uh, it, it derides or derails 
what was going to be, I think, a continued progression and getting better and better and better. I don't know that you and I have ever had the running back conversation, Keith. So uh, since I opened that can of worms, you got Dalvin or Warwick at the top? Uh, I got Warwick uh, only because I believe Warwick could catch the ball better out of the backfield. Dalvin can catch it, but, you know, and and I'm totally skewed with the reception he had as a freshman from Charlie Charlie Ward down in the, uh, in the swamp for that victory over Florida. Uh, Warwick, you know, next to Derek Brooks, Warwick is my favorite FSU football player. I mean, I just, I'm probably skewed by what he's done off the field, but uh, what he was able to do based on the talent that he had um, and the longevity that he had uh, is truly, truly remarkable, that running back position. And seeing maybe this is recency bias, and I think Warwick's got a lot going on in his world, mainly building houses for people who need them, that he's not a regular listener to Front Row Knowles. Because if he does hear me say this, he'll be sure to find me next time he's on the sideline and let me know that he disagrees. But I I think I'll go Dalvin. It might, it might be recency bias, but the one thing that, that has become apparent in the post-Dalvin Cook era of Florida State is that he masked a lot of deficiencies that were already there. And then he moved on, and lo and behold, it was like everything just collapsed. I'll say this, though, Keith, you really can't go wrong with either of them. I mean, e- either Agreed. of those toting the football. So then if we continue further, where does, where does Cam Akers end up on that list for you? And I know, you know, Greg <laughs> Allen was right after you. Leon Washington was one of my favorites. Sammy Smith in the late 80s. I mean, there's been some good ones. He's certainly in the top 10. And I'd, uh, because of my age, I'd have to get some names in front of me and, you know, get out the, the 10 yellow sticky notes and write their names on them and move them around and visually look at them. Uh, but I, I am a big Cam Akers fan. I think he uh, continued a tradition that, um, you know, Warwick and, and even before him, you know, you know, Sammy and, 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 and the, that group, you know, they, they benefited from great teams uh, in some respects. Uh, maybe not Greg Allen. He was a little earlier. But, uh, you know, the, the, the Warwick benefited from a great team, and Leon benefited from a great team. Uh, and, and Cam really didn't have that team. So I'd have him in the top ten, and if I sat down and studied it and did some pluses and minuses, I might move him up to five. Yeah, the all-time leading rusher list, just so you know, Keith, Dalvin, then Dunn, Greg Allen, Travis Minor. You know, Travis played several years in the league and was, was a we, great We don't talk about him, do we? Yeah. Quiet kid. We really don't talk about him a lot. Then Larry Key was fifth. Then Cam Akers is the sixth all-time leading rusher in FSU history. Then it's Sammy, Greg Jones, Lorenzo Booker, and uh, Devonta Freeman with Anton Smith right after that. Not a bad list. Uh, that uh, is a list that you would like to be a part of. That's a good homeroom. That's a good homeroom when you're starting in uh, in high school. No question. I, I didn't mean to take us down that rabbit hole. Just the Cam Akers news. Uh, I, I, we, we tell these stories a lot, Keith. I mean, you and I, with the access we've had, and as members of the media, you don't really know any of the guys. I mean, you interview them. They may recognize you. Some of them are more personable than others. Some of them don't love the media. Doesn't make them bad guys. Uh, but the ones you tend to remember are the ones who remember you and remember your name. And Cam, his last game, at, which was a game in Gainesville at Florida, I distinctly remember that uh, even though it had been a long season and not the season or the career he wanted, 
he was more than willing to come on the radio network and have a long conversation about it. Didn't disclose that he was moving on at that point, even though I think everybody knew that he probably was. But he handled it first class. And so, uh, again, not that somebody who wouldn't have handled it that way, I'm rooting for them to be injured in the NFL. It just hurts to hear that Cam got hurt. Agreed. Absolutely agree. All right, Keith. So back to the, the business at hand, ACC kickoff. And, again, it's still it's, – it's not the norm for Florida State to, to not be the headliner. And they're going to have to earn their way back. I, I'm looking at their, their conference march. Two conference wins a year ago. We talk about three and six, Keith. Two and six in the ACC. That's, that's hard to stomach when you think about the way the 90s rolled in. And I know we're a long way away from the 90s. But I'm just excited for this season to start. And I really am curious to see if they can just get any kind of momentum to end up on the plus side of 500, which is where I want to see them at the end of the year. I mean, if you could somehow get to seven and five, which means whatever happens in a bowl, you're still going to have a winning record. To me, that would be the, the pinnacle. I'm not in the eight, nine, 10 camp which isn't to say they couldn't get to eight or nine, but I don't know how realistic that is. Unrealistic would be how I would phrase it. And I agree with you. You know, a six win season would be a, a very big step in the right direction. Seven win. Uh, that would be icing on the cake. Um, we, we just got to be realistic. No one appreciated how far the program had stumbled uh, until we actually saw it with our own eyes because we just refused to accept it. Uh, you know, we had such success, uh, a little bit of a downturn. Some would argue a big downturn at the tail end of Jimbo. But then, you know, Willie's years and, and, of course, last year, you know, not a good year, but a lot of reasons why. A lot of people didn't have a good year last year. So that's why I say this is really the first year in truth that we can measure Mike and, and certainly we're not measuring him and thinking he has to win 10 ball games to, to be a success. Um, but we've got a long hole to climb out of. And I think he's done all the right things. I think this coaching staff has remained intact. I think they're very good recruiters. We've seen that. Uh, I think they're very good at developing players, uh, taking that uh, middle-of-the-road guy, that three-star or that four-star, and turning them into good football players. And potentially great football players uh, in some cases, we just got to see it on the field. And I know the people that I talk to, both former players and others, that's all we're looking for. You know, all the, all the talk, all the hype, the NIL, the transfer portal, the new kids coming in, that's all great. And we're happy for it. And that points in the right direction, but let's win some games on the football field. And then we'll start feeling a whole lot better. I wonder, and this goes back to Mackenzie Milton, who had a ton of success at UCF, and you and I both think he's going to wind up being the starter. Keith, we talk about the number of stars and height and weight and how many starts and rush. We talk about all these quantifiable things. But one of the biggest issues for Florida State the last several years has simply been mental toughness. As soon as you go a series or two and something bad happens, the team has packed its bags and just, uh, you know, they've gotten in the fetal position. And I hate to put it that bluntly, but that really is what we've seen. And so McKenzie with that background, maybe Jermaine as well, coming from Georgia and, and winning pedigree, that, that, to me, that attitude or that thought, that's the number one thing that needs to change so that you are truly fighting every possession, every play till the end of the game and maybe at the end of the game, you still lose, but it's not 40 to 10. Maybe now it's 30 to 24. 
we used a term that was ingrained in me years and years ago called intestinal fortitude. Um, we used to translate that as having guts. Um, Coach Bowden would tell his coaching staff, uh, you know, describe Tom Block as a player to me. And a, a staff member would say he's this, he's that, and the other. And coach would then look at uh, the assistant coach and say, will Tom fight? Will he not give up? And that was that intestinal fortitude concept. And as you're talking about uh, going a, a series or two and not having success, having things go bad, and instead of throwing in the towel, redoubling your efforts and regaining your composure and getting back after it. And that is a, an intangible trait that's very difficult to measure, if not impossible to measure, other than in-game situations. You can, if this is the right analogy, it's like pornography. I might not be able to describe it to you, but I can tell you when I see it. And seeing a, a team, an individual, and then a team that won't quit, can't describe to you all the things that that requires, but I can tell you when I see it. And, and by the way, we saw that in the last ballgame. You started to see some of that, uh, those traits coming through, and that was very, very encouraging. That's exactly what I was going to say to wrap up this segment, Keith. That's why Mike Norvell was so pleased to get a win over Duke in the last ball game. We can nitpick and talk about how the, the defense broke down and gave up. Th- you know, they squandered a big lead, but they didn't squander the game. And as we talked about it at the time, as simple or as silly as that seems, it was a big damn deal, especially if you can build on it this year. And I know. I'm not the one who dives into the weeds and the metrics and the yards per play and those things as, as much as others do, Keith. I, I talk in the broad strokes, but if you get your mind right, that's how you can become better than the sum of your parts. But you certainly can't just concede plays and just give in. You can't throw in the towel. During this past offseason, I don't – and I didn't hear of any stories about kids quitting – either a specific drill or quitting the team. <clears throat> You'll recall last year, not this past offseason, but the prior offseason, without naming names, I can tell you two kids that quit during drills and quit the team. Now, that's a very simplistic um, snapshot, but that speaks improvement within that context to me, if that makes sense. I agree. I agree. Okay, I, I mentioned that I had a, a rant that probably comes up every summer at this time. Uh, I'm going to get back to it. We'll put it on a tee, or you can, Keith, and uh, I'll take some batting practice when we come back on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you as we wrap up. Keith, I hate to bring this back because I've talked about it before. But we've got the entire college football world pretty much ready to expand the college football playoff and get to 12 games, I mean 12 teams. And there's a lot of thought that they could even do this without waiting until the TV contracts expire in 25 and do it three years earlier. 
In other words, move the needle quicker, get there. And it's a product of everybody being tired of the, the four in the playoff being the same four teams every year. And when we go to 12, it may be the same four anyway, but at least the first two rounds of the playoffs will be more interesting. But now, lo and behold, we have the Rose Bowl and its parade and its sunset. Speaking up from Pasadena again and simply saying that they're not going to go for what is proposed, which leaves really two options, as I understand it. Number one, the college football powers could listen to the Rose Bowl again and not make any changes or give the Rose Bowl what it really wants by making them a a quarterfinal annually. Every year, that's one of the college football quarterfinal sites is the Rose Bowl. And frankly, if it didn't impede progress, I'd be okay with it. Or the other option is uh, just let the Rose Bowl play its damn game and we'll do the college football playoff without the Rose Bowl, which I don't know if anybody will ever get there, Keith, but the Rose Bowl has been holding this up. They delayed the playoff. They delayed us getting to the BCS. We used to have the Bowl Coalition. Florida State would have another national title if it wasn't for the damn Rose Bowl because we would have played Arizona State in 96 instead of playing Florida again after just beating them. So, yeah, I'm a little sore at the Rose Bowl. The, the easiest answer is to tell the Rose Bowl you can play a semifinal or quarterfinal game and then do whatever you want to afterwards or to tell them to go find another way to do it and just exclude them. What I think is happening, though, Tom, we've seen it in the Pac-12 in terms of viewership. They haven't had anything on the West Coast that has been popular to the rest of the the population, and I'm pretty sure that other than those associated with the Rose Bowl, no one else gives a crap. I don't. So well, and we're guys. You can do this, you can do this, or you're not doing nothing. And think about this: what's their game going to be if we expand to twelve? Are they going to take the number three team? from this conference and the number four team from that conference because the others are playing in the playoff? What's that going to do for their history? Now, they've had a great run, as as the, the late Keith Jackson used to say, they're the granddaddy of them all. I get that. But you know what? We had a, a stadium over here on the East Coast that had a wonderful uh, run down in Miami called the Orange Bowl. It doesn't even exist anymore. All good things sometimes will pass. We are the guys in the South and not the Pac-12 guys. Keith, here's the real question. Are the Pac-12 schools and the Big Ten schools going to choose the Rose Bowl over a 12-team playoff and participating in it? Is Ohio State going to say it's more important to go win the Rose Bowl than to play in the 12-team playoff? I think that ship has sailed. I mean, I think we're done with those days. That's my point. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we'll, we'll see when this all comes. Here's the take. And most of our listeners, maybe not most, plenty of our listeners went to the Rose Bowl either the first year when it was actually the BCS championship game and FSU beat Auburn or the next year when it was the Rose Bowl and Florida State lost to Oregon. And the sunset and the backdrop is tremendous. The stadium's antiquated. It's not anything to write home about. The parade, I went to the parade. It was cool. I've, it wasn't really on my bucket list, but if anybody ever asks, I've been to both the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and the Rose Bowl Parade. So, and I think I've been to the Orange Bowl Parade, Keith, so I've, and I've been to Mardi Gras. So I've checked off all the parades, right? What else is left? But anyway, 
they want to keep their kickoff at the same time so we get that sunset. I, I'll be happy to change my Twitter profile to put the backdrop of, what is it, the San Gabriel Mountains there so everybody can see how pretty it is when the third quarter turns to the fourth. But we just got to get them out of the way so we can get on with this business of expanding the playoff. As our listeners know from seven, eight years of you and I doing this show, I was adamant one way or the other a while ago, and I've had to change. Guess what? Mr. and Ms. Orange Bowl, or excuse me, Rose Bowl, uh, you're going to have to change too. Welcome to the new reality. So that's the latest wrinkle in where this college football thing is headed, and we'll just see where, where that lands. Uh, college football as it relates to Florida State, 12-team playoff or not, Rose Bowl, really not topics of conversation specific to FSU right now, just getting better this year. And I, I do have great confidence that Florida State will be a much better football team this year uh, because you can, you can be much improved and maybe it's not reflected in the record so much. I mean, they're going to win some more games than they did last year, but, but even if you end up six and six, it could still look a lot better than, than what you've put on the field the last couple of years. And I'm just anxious to see how that develops and anxious based on the off season. And I know that the off season is optimism season because you don't lose any games between January and September. You don't lose a single game, right? So generally all the news is good news. But uh, I feel like it's been pretty significant news this year in terms of what came in in the transfer portal, what Norvell and company accomplished on the recruiting trail, and they still got to close the deal on these kids who are committed. The goodwill they generated by doing all those camps around the state, uh, having guest coaches at the spring game. There's just been a lot of positivity about it, and I'm ready to see that translate onto the football field. A lot of good comments coming out of the strength and conditioning program. Uh, not a lot being said about the player-led workouts, and that's normally the case. Uh, but once they get the opportunity to get back on the field, uh, again, I'll repeat an earlier comment I had. I haven't seen it yet, but I do believe it will happen. This staff, uh, I believe, is going to be very good at developing players, taking players and making them making good players, uh, better players, making better players, great players. Uh, and, and I'm I'm in excited to see that and watch that progress. I think that's going to happen. That'll be a huge, huge positive in my judgment and measurement of what I think the season is going to be like. Okay. Repeating what we let out of the bag last segment. If you missed that, uh, we've got one more week here after this one on 97.9 and then Keith and I are moving over to uh, 93.3 and uh, we hope you'll come with us on that. We'll continue to, to beat that drum and get that word out. Uh, but we appreciate your listenership. Football season is here. The calendar is almost to August, folks, just a little while longer till we really uh, dive deep into Florida State football. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks so much for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. Control.